The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat, Jr. Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello, and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat, Jr. I'd like to welcome you all to today's show, Cheap Plastics and Counterfeits. You've heard me uh, talk several weeks now about counterfeiting and cheap plastics and other uh, products that can be harmful to yourself and your family and once again we're back to expand on that a little bit more we do this through sponsorship and with uh, working with a number of organizations i'd like to introduce you to the hazardous substance free mark alliance which you can find at www.hsf.us the counterfeit avoidance mark alliance which can be found at www.counterfeitavoidance.org all of that is sponsored and overseen by the Electronic Component Certification Corporation, known as the ECC Corp, and that is www.eccorp.org. That's the organization that represents the United States on all things standards and conformity assessment in the International Electrotechnical Commission. Our sponsors, the ones that help pay for uh, for the show itself, www.bqpm.com. That's the consulting training implementation organization that can help you achieve either your hazardous substance-free uh, program or your counterfeit mitigation program. And if you're looking for some components from a company that's been certified compliant with the International Standards AS6081 for counterfeit mitigation, then you want to check in on www.securecomponents.com. Secure Components is the first company in the world to achieve certification under the industry-developed AS6081 counterfeit mitigation program. I'm extremely pleased, as you, as you might expect. I have two well-known guests on the show today, Mr. Rob Schuber from WW uh, from Con, Con, Concord Components. I'll get that right, Rob, and um, I promise not to screw it up too many times. Okay, <laughs> Rob is uh, can be found at www.concordcomponents.com. And our, our man of the hour, legal representation from uh, the East Coast there in Washington, D.C., Bob Metzger. 
Bob is with us uh, from RJO, and that is uh, Rogers Joseph O'Donnell PC, and you can find them find him at www.rjo.com. Our show today is divided into three segments. In the first segment, we'll be discussing the value that a stocking independent distributor provides to the supply chain. Uh, we'll also be talking about supply chain with Bob, but to start with, it's Robert as the CEO of Concord Components, and we'll be discussing what his company is doing to help their customers. The second segment, Robert Metzger, uh, prefers to be called Bob, a member of the Government Contracts Practice Group of Rogers Joseph O'Donnell, P.C., Uh, Bob and and I will be talking about what he is involved in and the challenges government agencies face keeping their supply chain clean and clear of counterfeit. In the third segment, we'll actually back up to what the show uh, title is, which is Cheap Plastics and Counterfeits. And I'm going to share with you at that time uh, personal experience in a company overseas that manufactures products that use plastics. And one of the things we learned and helped them solve in the early days of hazardous substance-free or hazardous substance process management. Without further delay, I'd like to introduce my first guest, Robert Sherber, CEO, Concord Components. Welcome to the show, Rob. Uh, Thank you, Stan. Um, I guess I could first uh, introduce our company and give an idea of what we do. Um, Concord is a an independent stocking distributor, as, as Stan indicated. Uh, we, we also have uh, about five authorized lines that we, we supply from. And uh, as a stocking distributor, electronic components, um, we um, our focus a lot is on hard-to-find and obsolete components, which inherently most of the time come without traceability. So a big part of our, of our day is... Um, screening those components to, to mitigate any counterfeits getting into the supply chain. Oh, very good. Um, it, it might be helpful for some of our listening audience to understand when we talk about stocking or authorized distributor uh, versus a non-stocking or independent distributor and how all that helps either an individual or industrial consumer. How, how does that work? Um, you know, I, I'm used to going, and we're, we're most all of us are used to going to the store and looking at things we want to buy, pick them up off the shelf, take them to the cashier. I take it your business is a little bit different than that. Oh, certainly. Mostly it's, it's business to business, so um, a lot of our, our um, quotes are, are through online services or you know, just over the phone. So there's no um, there's no retail store to walk into by any means, um, but as you mentioned, difference between let's say a stocking distributor or authorized. You know, generally authorized means that the the manufacturer is given permission and all that product should be traceable, and they sh- the parts when you purchase them from an authorized or franchise distributor, they should come with a, a certificate certificate of conformance of CFC. Um, whereas if you're a an independent stocking distributor such as ourselves, um, the product uh, many times does not come with trace- traceability without CFCs. So that's where the, the screening of that product becomes important. And then you have um, the next level, just an, an independent distributor that doesn't necessarily stock. 
um, any products that they may sell would be procured from other sources. Um, I, ideally, goes goes through a um, a certified quality control process and then is then is shipped. But uh, they generally wouldn't stock product. Okay, so to to try and put this in perspective, I guess many industry industrial uh, buyers would not just walk into Intel or one of the uh, semiconductor electronic component manufacturers and buy parts direct. They're either doing that through you because you have an agreement with the manufacturer or they're looking for parts that you have access to or availability of uh, that they can buy from you. Right, exactly. And and generally when we're procuring product for uh, a customer, ideally the first if, if we're going out and looking in the marketplace, first we're going to call an authorized supplier and try to find traceable product. But oftentimes, if we're getting those calls, they're, they're looking for obsolete or hard-to-find components, which aren't going to be available at a franchise distributor. So we'll either look for them in the market or ideally we'll have them on the shelf already. And it's more and more um, the case than not that we're going to be focusing on obsolete material. That's that's the core of our business. It brings up another interesting thought, um, and, and this is not a rehearsed show, so we we do can tend to go all over the place. But sure. the um, yeah, if my refrigerator dies or has a, a problem, I look at it. I decide, gee, it's already seven, eight, nine years old, so I just go replace it. And when you talk about obsolete parts, I've I've had the opportunity to try and buy parts for a uh, older car, and told they've been obsolete. Um, why doesn't your customer just buy a new one? Well, you have um, programs, especially on the, on the military side, that were probably meant to, um, or a, a, a device to be in service for ten years. Well, there be. Due to cost cutting, they're extending those programs for to 20 years to 30 years. So, the, the, a lot of the parts that we we supply are are very specific. So, the the design requires that part. It's the only, the only a unique device could be um, specified for that application. So, uh, so, if it's not available or not being made anymore, um, you can't just replace the whole unit. You, if you have to replace a component, you also have to find a component. That's um, that's out there, and it it may not be traceable because they're no, just no longer made. That that sounds like it's cheaper to find an expensive obsolete part than it is to replace a multi million dollar F sixteen jet <laughs> fighter Absolutely. jet. Absolutely, but then you, you're talking about a jet, and that's obviously a critical application item. So you need to really worry about reliability and safety. All right. So, bringing this around the table or around the corner to counterfeit, uh, it seems pretty straightforward. Military builds, well, somebody builds the products that the military buys. They're put into service. Uh, you would think that our system would be able to say, okay, we're going to need parts for 25 years, so let's make 25 years worth of service parts and put them on a shelf somewhere. Um, well, that, that would certainly be ideal, but what happens is that it no longer becomes profitable for um, the, the original manufacturer of the components to continue to make those. So they discontinue them, and they'll dedicate that line or that process to a, a newer, newer component where they have demand. 
and thus we wind up with shortages, and that brings us to the what is counterfeit, and you know how do we how do you deal with it? How do, how does Concord Components, uh, since it is a pandemic, I mean we know that this is a huge problem worldwide. So, well, first first off, we we um, have a lot of equipment that's designed to help us to, to identify. But uh, we follow industry standard checklists to help us with that process and to help with training for that process because there, there really is a lot to it. And, and it can be very subjective, so training and communication is, is a very important part of that process. Well, and to quickly summarize, well, first, when it, a product comes in the door, you have, we verify that it's the correct part or at least appears to be the correct part. Okay. And, and then we look for visual clues um, that will help us, help us to determine, determine if it's authentic or not. And beyond visual, uh, even if we have questions about the visual, we'll, we'll move forward and do destructive testing, which could indicate um, the marking, checking the marking, checking uh, the mark, how permanent the marking is. And we actually will take uh, sampling of parts apart. It's called decapsulation for a microcircuit uh-huh. to, look, look, to look what's inside and to try to verify what we see inside against a known good part and or documentation of what, what that die should look like. And then beyond that, we have we, the real-time x-ray we use. We use um, XRF, to, which is um, to determine the, the lead type and finish, the alloys that, are, that, are, um, that the leads are made of. And that, that's all part of the picture. We, we try to put a picture together of um, what is more likely that they're authentic or not. So, so you're playing a bit of Sherlock Holmes there. Absolutely, and that's that's with every every part that comes in that's not traceable. Uh, that's got to be a, a fair bit of of work and effort and a costly process as well. Well, and it, it is costly, and it, it certainly gets reflected in the prices of of the product uh, to our customers, which is unavoidable. But it's uh, it's necessary, and even if you're talking about ten pieces. And we have to, according to AS 6081, three pieces out of those ten need to be destroyed uh, in, or, in order to comply with the standard. That, that obviously adds to cost as well because you have three pieces. They could be hundreds of dollars a piece. You can't use them anymore. And that, that has to get, be added into the cost, uh, which, again, is, flows down to the customer. Yeah, that takes me back to the many days and years of working in and with the military where the reality was you buy 10, you test eight of them, you actually destroy eight of them testing, you keep one for service and put one in the equipment. Um, But it is the way life has to be when you're in critical um, applications like that, I guess. Yes, and and also um, since it is subjective, and risk is a part of it. Uh, what what is the component going to be put in? What's it going to be used for? So, if it's a critical application, more and more so, we're we may be confident uh, that the parts are are authentic. But if there's a, a question, generally we're we're going to end up scrapping those or or re- returning them if if necessary to our customer. So that adds to cost as well. Because then you have to start all over it with the process and try a new vendor or try a, a new group of parts or a new, a new group of lock codes or date codes um, to see if we can imp- improve our confidence all right. before, we, before we ship to our customer. 
I'm aware or somewhat aware of some things being done these days to to authenticate parts, and part of that is what you've just described. But then once once it's finished with you, once you've determined that the parts are uh, appropriate for use, then you have yet another step, as I understand, that uh, certain military or government agencies are now starting to deploy. Can you talk about that for a minute? Um, I guess I, my question is what, what specific uh, – are you talking about electrical testing or um – Additional screening? Well, I'm, I'm actually thinking about the identification that's put on components. Once it leaves you, oh. how, do, how do we know that it's, that it's really a good part, or can we know? Well, the, the next step would be the, the, the DNA marking, which we're authorized to do. Um, the, that's going to give uh, traceability back to us as a contractor. And in, in order to, to apply that that. It's a plant-based DNA. In order to apply that, we have to show evidence that the, the, the parts have been screened according to the AS6081 standard, which includes electrical testing and all of the, um, the counterfeit mitigation steps that I spoke about. And that evidence has to be supplied to the, um, the DNA company, and they'll then give us authorization to mark the the parts with this uh, it's a DNA ink which then we would then supply that to the, to the government interesting so we have un, unlike human beings that really control their own DNA we have an organization or a, a method now of creating um, a DNA marker right. that can then be traced uh, that's, that's the uh, concept here Yes. So at least out in the field then, uh, if there's ever an issue, um, ideally that the DNA will still be intact and it'll show traceability back to us as as the contractor. Um, The push is to have the original manufacturer start using the DNA, but it it may take some time for that to get adopted. But ideally that would be the best case scenario. So in in, let's say 20 years from now, um, the majority of, of product may be traceable back to the actual manufacturer with a, a DNA-type marker. Very interesting. I, I suspect that that could be a topic all of its own, talking uh, about how, how do you deal with DNA. Absolutely. And, and, uh, it's, um, it's designed to be, uh, there's a code embedded in it, it's designed to be um, unbreakable. So uh, it's, it, it's designed to be you know, nearly permanent. So it's, it's, a, it's a good, um, it's a good um, method for giving that traceability back to the contractor. Very interesting. And uh, it's in progress now, so we're actually using it or we're uh, proving the, the um, functionality of it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, all a tightly controlled process given that the DNA is in itself a unique marker that uh, I guess it's not actually replicatable. I mean, you can't, uh, to the best of my knowledge, you can't create it or duplicate a DNA, can you? No. They, they designed it to be just that. It's not duplicatable. It's, it's, um, it requires a special process to, to read it. Um, there are tools to, to even know it's there. But then beyond that, only, the, um, only their lab can actually determine the code. It's very, very tightly controlled. Very tightly controlled. And Concord Components is 
qualified to to apply that DNA in accordance with the rules now. Yes. Outstanding. So we have at least one more source of known uh, counterfeit-free uh, supply chain. Uh, Ideally. And then uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, um, we've been doing it for a long time. We, uh, we're trying to stay ahead of the curve. And the, the, there's obviously it can be expensive, but we're trying to uh, uh, get all the necessary equipment and keep, keep our equipment updated so that uh, we're supplying quality, authentic products to all of our customers. Oh, very good, uh, Rob. I, I guess just to, to close on this, I, I'll be one, possibly not the first, but I would certainly say that while these things might cost a bit, the fact that we're still using rather old equipment, and it is our sons and daughters, our, our family and friends that are out there in harm's way, um, it's a cost that I think we just absolutely have to bear uh, until we find a better way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rob, I really want to thank you uh, for being on the show today. Um, if if you had any last comments before we go to break, uh, entertain that now and um, look forward to talking to you more in the future. Oh, absolutely. Thank, well, thanks for having me, and uh, um, we hope that uh, that I was able to shed some light on what companies like ourselves do. Very good, and I certainly believe you have. Okay, great. Okay, we're, we're going to go off to break here for a minute. Please come back. Uh, join me when we start talking to Bob Metzger. Uh, he's in the know right there in Washington, D.C., where all the action is. Look forward to uh, talking with him in just a minute here. Talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Secure Components is your international certified supplier of obsolete and hard-to-find products. Specializing in counterfeit mitigation, Secure Components is a qualified supplier for the Department of Defense, Aerospace, Military, and Avionics Industries. If you're a business in need of hard-to-find or obsolete components, please contact us by visiting our website, securecomponents.com, or call us at 484-222-5195. Again, 484-222-5195. 5195. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? 
It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at eccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at eccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Dan Slott, Jr., and I'd like to welcome you, if you're uh, just joining in, back to our show, or back to our show. Uh, today's show, Cheap Plastics and Counterfeits. We were just speaking with Robert Sherber from uh, Concord Components, and Robert was sharing with us the things that uh, Concord does to ensure counterfeit mitigation and counterfeit free parts to their customers uh, throughout the supply chain. Our next guest, uh, my next guest, Robert Metzger, Esquire, with uh, Rogers Joseph O'Donnell, PC. Um, Bob is is a uh, pretty well-known attorney up in Washington, D.C., working with industry, and rather than me trying to fill in the blanks here, I'm going to ask Robert to say hello and then uh, kind of help us understand what Rogers Joseph O'Donnell does and uh, their role in government contracts, or his role, rather, in government sure. contracts and prog- well, product Well, hello, uh, Stan, and, and thanks for having me uh, on your show. Uh, I'm a partner with a law firm, Rogers Joseph O'Donnell. Our firm is based in San Francisco. I, I head the office in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've been focused on uh, public contracts for more than 32 years now, and our clients represent a wide range of uh, companies in information technology, computing, software, systems engineering, uh, telecommunications, and, and aerospace and defense. Uh, I've been very active in supply chain security issues for a number of years. And uh, in the last year, I've been a, a vice chair of the supply chain subcommittee of Tech America, which is one of the largest uh, trade associations of uh, technology companies in the United States. I think they have about a 1,000 members. Uh, my focus has been on uh, new federal laws and policies that uh, require improvements in uh, the detection and avoidance of counterfeit parts, counterfeit electronic parts, and, and especially for companies who uh, sell products that are intended for uh, military systems. Uh, my firm counsels companies on how these new anti-counterfeit laws 
uh, will affect them and how to improve practices using uh, risk-based uh, prevention measures. As uh, I indicated, uh, our clients are both uh, small and large and sophisticated and uh, less so. Uh, while many of our clients are specialists in government procurement, I also advise some very large commercial companies on their supply chain risk management uh, practices. Included in our list of clients are some uh, specialist firms like uh, the one that uh, Rob uh, represents. I did listen to his earlier comments, which I thought were very interesting. And uh, the final piece of what I do is to help some companies with more sophisticated products in, in looking at areas where uh, cybersecurity and counterfeit ports uh, avoidance uh, converge. Uh, this is where uh, counterfeit is uh, worse than just a fake. Uh, the, the greatest hazard that's perceived of some types of counterfeits is that they will uh, be very cleverly designed by and made by very sophisticated uh, actors and that they will harbor hostile code and will either introduce vulnerability uh, into a network or, or be used to uh, to disable a system or to cause the extraction of sensitive information. That, that's an area that uh, we don't hear much about in the general press, social media. I'm, I'm pleased that somebody's doing something, but it doesn't seem to be as widely discussed. Is there a reason behind that? Yeah, there, there's a, a couple of reasons, Dan. You know, most Everyone has had some personal experience with the counterfeit, whether it's, uh, you know, a purse, a handbag, obviously, if you're a woman, a watch. Uh, uh, we all have, most of us have heard of examples of counterfeit electronics, whether they're consumer electronics or attempts to put uh, fakes into military systems. There's been a lot of publicity uh, tending to those. And, and there are huge industries, as you know personally, Stan, that exist in some parts of the world uh, where they seek to take uh, electronic components and repackage them and misrepresent them so that they appear to be something that they're not. Most of those counterfeits uh, are fakes. Most of those who create the fakes are criminals. Most of them are motivated by, uh, by profit as their motive. They, they think that they can offer a product that otherwise isn't available from a source with high assurance, or in some cases, even if the original is available, they the criminals will offer uh, a cheaper price. But even though the percentage is much, much smaller, there is another category of counterfeits which cause much greater concern uh, within the government for, for different reasons. And that are that is the those types of counterfeit electronic parts that, that can raise national security concerns. I'm going to read something which uh, will summarize this and then and tell you where it came from, which is an inter- interesting in and of itself. Okay. This, is, this says, counterfeit integrated circuits raise national security concerns because the history of a counterfeit device is unknown, including who has handled it and what has been done to it. The devices can be altered and certain devices can be reprogrammed. Counterfeits can contain malicious code or hidden back doors enabling remote systems disablement, communication interception, and computer network intrusion. Now, where I read that from is uh, an indictment that was uh, issued by the Department of Justice just a few months ago in Mm -hmm. Connecticut, charging a particular individual 
with uh, conspiracy and other illegal acts uh, relating to his efforts to import from China counterfeit electronic parts that were intended to be used on systems on active-duty nuclear submarines. I want to caution that the individual hasn't been tried and these allegations haven't been proven. I also have read this indictment carefully, and although it raises the risk of this malicious counterfeit, it's much more likely that the facts involved in the case uh, are the more usual type, where the counterfeit is a fake, but even so, a fake part put into a military system is one that very likely will fail, that it may fail early or it may, may fail after installation, but it will fail because it isn't designed to or qualified to the rigors of the environment, temperature, atmospheric, acoustic, electronic, for which the, the qualified part is intended. And the failure of any counterfeit part when in a military system creates a problem. And in some military systems, such as aircraft, or uh, there can be a, a risk to the safety of the crew. And in some systems, there can be uh, disruption to a critical national function. So as a matter of risk analysis, uh, prudent companies take much more seriously anti-counterfeit obligations if they if they do provide critical application items and the application is for a sensitive defense or national security customer. And more to the point, Congress has stepped into the act. Many of your listeners will know already that there were well-publicized hearings of the Senate Armed Services Committee in 2011. And those brought to light uh, potentially thousands or tens of thousands of examples of counterfeits working their way into the defense supply chain. Uh, the hearings didn't paint a pretty picture of how well either industry or government were doing to avoid counterfeit parts or to properly report them. Right. And so Congress stepped in and passed a new law of sweeping implications, the Section 818 of the 2012 Defense Authorization. And we're still waiting for the regulations that will govern Section 818. Uh, and we do know that they will affect primarily large defense contractors. But we also know that the law requires those large contractors to flow down specific uh, obligations from the new law and the regulations to all of the subcontractors in their supply chain. And as a result, many companies who may never sell themselves, may never sell directly to the federal government themselves, or may never sell directly to the Department of Defense, will find themselves confronted with these new legal and regulatory requirements. And for some, it will be challenging. For others, it will be an area of opportunity. I would think Rob's firm is one because of its efforts to assure the pedigree and providence of parts. I think his his is the kind of firm, as is uh, Secure Composites, which you mentioned, which you know, should be able to offer a service that comes into greater demand as these new counterfeit uh, laws and rules take force. You're describing something that um, I'm not sure has has gotten enough uh, press, hasn't gotten enough social sharing with particularly buyers. Uh, buyers are pushed on a daily basis by their management to buy at the lowest price possible, and we know that. And uh, the, the, <laughs> the goosebumps I got when you were explaining that are, Associated to, I just spent an entire weekend uh, 
rebuilding one of my computers because I got a Trojan horse in it that crashed it. Uh, and I can, as an engineer, I can bring that home to the fact that the uh, the code that could be put into some products, uh, malicious code, it could wreak havoc on the entire world. That's very true. Uh, the nature of that threat, of course, is severe. And in some in some uh, literature from the defense scientific community, there's the there is postulated an existential threat, as could occur, for illustration, if a, a nuclear weapon were subject to infiltration by a counterfeit part, and that part were programmed to enable a hostile force to turn the weapon against its uh, its operator. Uh, we don't know that those things have occurred, and we're not likely to know whether attempts have been made because of the classification that covers such events. Right. But I do know for a certainty because I work with these areas of the federal government, that these threats are taken extremely seriously by the Department of Defense, by the NSA, by other critical, by the Department of Homeland Security. Even though, by number, the larger threat is uh, the fake part, usually offered to fulfill a need for sustainment of an older system. That's right. where most of the numbers are, but the potentially greater harm is the malicious part. Uh, and so we, we see in, in government efforts uh, not only the broad uh, initiative to improve uh, company practices to detect and avoid counterfeit parts, but also special initiatives that will deal specifically with uh, high-risk or high-sensitivity parts in critical systems. Now, I would like to, to go back to something you said, Stan, for just a second. Sure. You mentioned this pressure to uh, to purchase at the lowest price. That is a severe problem, and and frankly, it, it's a paradox, if not a, a bitter irony. We have this this broad new law, Section Eight Eighteen. It imposes right. all these requirements upon companies to do all these things to detect and avoid counterfeit parts, and it threatens various forms of cost disallowance and sanctions should they not succeed. And yet at the same time, the government is relentless in its pressure to make companies purchase material at the lowest possible price. And as Rob mentioned earlier, the simple fact is that if you want a higher degree of assurance, if you want the DNA marking technique, if you want the more tightly controlled supply chain or the additional test or the higher sampling rates to give yourself the maximum obtainable confidence that a purchase part is authentic, those things necessarily cost money. And you simply can't reconcile the demands of this new law with the institutional pressures that DOD mounts uh, on its contractors to buy parts at the lowest price. It, it, it just doesn't make sense, and it never will. And, you know, we also mentioned uh, this, the DNA marking. You know, another peculiarity or irony is that the, the DNA marking initiative was sponsored by the Defense Logistics Agency. Right. The mission of that agency is to support the warfighter. Its job is to keep running literally thousands upon thousands of systems of various right. complexity. There is a special class of electronic parts, a federal supply schedule part. I think it's 5962. 
which are deemed to be more complex, of higher sensitivity, greater vulnerability to counterfeits, greater consequence if a counterfeit occurs. Right. Well, for those parts, DLA is now requiring DNA marking, as we heard. Right. But but the problem is that by imposing the DNA marking technique, DLA has essentially shut itself out from the original sources of those parts and their authorized distributors because those companies that make modern electronic parts all have their own methods of identification, which they are not going to reveal, which are highly prized trade, protected trade secrets. And there is an inconsistency between the DNA technique, which would impose in the chip a different marking, and the insistence of the original makers of the chip that they use only their methods. I don't have an opinion on whether the DNA technique is or is not a great idea globally, but I do know as a fact that the practical effect of the DLA's DNA initiative has been to cut the DLA off from the original sources of chips and from their authorized distributors, even though the category of chips DLA is purchasing are the ones that are supposed to be the most sensitive and where assurance of integrity is the most important. This sounds... uh... I, I'm not sure that uh, I can say anything that, that won't get me in trouble, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I will comment, and this is by far on the other side of the, the world, but I had the opportunity to participate in an, in an audit of Guinness, the, the beer company in Ireland. Sure. And when you talk about trade secrets... Uh, if I can uh, interject, if, if you have another opportunity to audit uh, Guinness, I would be pleased to be your assistant. <laughs> and, and I, I believe would, some sampling will be in order for it, this. And it was, it was at the time. And yes, if, if I get the opportunity, I will share that. The bottom line and the point I was going to make is whether it's Guinness or uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola, there's trade secrets. They're prized trade secrets. They have learned how to manage that very well. Why aren't we listening to what we know can work in the most effective way? Well, you know, this is an issue of fantastic complexity. Yes. You know, I, I, I read Section 818, and, and if you read this law, it basically says a lot of things that you'd agree with. It says you should buy from the original manufacturer or their authorized distributor when you can. Well, that's obvious. All right. And you should qualify new sources referencing industry standards and do additional tests and inspection and notify your customer if you can't get from the original source. Well, that makes sense, too. And you should improve your training. All, right. all, all the things make sense. But if ever there was uh, an area where the devil is in the details, this is That's it. Fine. Because almost every aspect of counterfeit parts detection and avoidance is one where there are so many complexities and nuances. Uh, Some of us look to industry standards to give us guidance on on how to proceed. And a great deal of work has been accomplished by SAE and other organizations. I'm now participating uh, as a uh, regular observer, since I'm not an engineer, I'm not, not an official participant, but I am a regular observer in in one of the SAE G19D uh, efforts to, to deal with what would seem like a simple problem. 
All right. Under what circumstances do you report to others in your industry the existence of a suspect or a known counterfeit part? Well, I will tell you from having listened in to several months of conference calls running into several hours duration each, that even that seemingly obvious issue is a really hard one to deal with. And so when we go back to your question about trade secrets, there's another tension there. All right. The the device makers have the most powerful interest to ensure that their confidential information, their trademarks, their marking techniques, the dyes and methods of their devices, they don't want them, that information to be shared with anyone. They have been resistant to efforts by customs officials, for example, to share with other parties information that might be obtained from the from the delitting of a device or inspection of its internals. Right. They've been reluctant to provide information about the unique characteristics of a device. They are worried, not without some cause, that if, right. they, if they expose that information, it will then be used to their detriment by rivals, honest rivals, or criminal counterfeiters and competitors. Also, there is the economic interest. If you ask the semiconductor industry... Well, what the answer should be to counterfeit parts, it very likely would tell you to buy all the parts you could ever require from the semiconductor industry and its authorized distributors, and that would solve all your problems. All right. Well, that won't work. Not only will it not work, it can't work. Because the, the difficulty is that, that there are literally, as I've said, many thousands of systems, just speaking about the military, that have been in existence for many years which continue to require repair, maintenance, and overhaul. Right. And you cannot get the parts you need from the original device makers for those parts. They're obsolete, out of production, unavailable. Your only choice will be to go to a distributor or, if necessary, a broker, except if you happen to have the money to redesign the chassis, the board, or the part, or have it built specially by a contract manufacturer or one of the nation's trusted foundries. Well, if we all had an infinite amount of money, then we could have every part, however old the system it is uh, employed in, we could have every part made new and delivered to us directly by Intel, to pick an example. Right. But we don't live in that world. And no. so we are stuck in a system where there is, are millions of electronic parts that are going to be required for sensitive applications that will not come from the original sources. That's where we have to come up with methods to defend against, detect, and avoid counterfeits. It is it is a significant uh, issue and uh, one that I will continue to bring to the audience uh, through this radio show and other things that I'm doing, and I'm sure you'll continue to to uh, work on in in your industry and the things you're doing. Bob, I really do appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, this has been fantastic information and sharing. Uh, perhaps uh, we can get you back on the show again in the future and uh, expand on this some more. Well, I would be uh, delighted. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience and uh, look forward to our uh, further co- collaboration. Very good, Bob. Okay, we're going to take a break, a short break here, and when we come back, I'm going to uh, talk about cheap plastics. I want to thank both Rob and Bob for their uh, contributions in today's show, and hopefully they'll 
they'll uh, hang in there with us and uh, maybe kibitz a little bit more as we go down the, the final few minutes of the show. Uh, turn this back over to uh, Voice America for a little bit of uh, identification there. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at eccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat. S-A-L-O-T at ECCCorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Dan Slott, Jr., and welcome you back to the show, Cheap Plastics and Counterfeits. I just had a fantastic discussion with Bob Metzger and Robert Sherber, uh, Robert with Concord Components, independent stocking and uh, non-stocking distributor, and Bob Metzger, uh, partner at uh, Rogers Joseph O'Donnell PC. Uh, Bob is involved with mitigation both from the San Francisco area and in Washington, D.C. Clearly, there is a lot of work to do. There are a number of issues. Uh, there are a huge number, a large number of, of people engaged in trying to address the mitigation or the counterfeit pandemic, as I refer to it. Uh, counterfeiting being everything from the simple, it isn't what we thought it should be, to used components to the outright illegal act of uh counterfeiting, duplicating, uh, stealing technology, and, and reselling it. 
want to take just a couple minutes and uh, share with you, relative to cheap plastics, um, the reality of the hazardous substance process management and the hazardous substance activities going on around the around the world nowadays. Uh, this is something that started some time ago. Uh, trying to get the lead and the mercury and the cadmium, the basic, uh, there's six basic elements, uh, heavy metals as they're referred to, that the world has been trying to take out of products that we use every day. And products we use every day is everything from uh, some of the plastics and some of the things you'd find in your kitchen to things you'd find in your car, the things we live with every day, not to mention the toys, uh, clothing, jewelry. I mean, it, it's pretty much everything. I had the opportunity back in around 2005, six time frame, I think it was about 2006, to actually assess or participate in the assessment of a company that uh, was making scales, uh, measuring scales, the kind you and I have in our bathroom all the way up to uh, the beakers and things used in laboratories or down to whichever way you want to look at that. Part of their operation, they were vertical manufacturing, totally vertical uh, organization, meaning that they produced everything that they used to make their product, and that included the plastics. And without going through all the detail, uh, they were transitioning from lead-free, from leaded to lead-free plastic, cadmium-free plastic parts used in their products. As they went through the assessment, thinking that they were compliant with what are what is known as the restriction of hazardous substance uh, legislation out of the European Union. They found that testing the parts initially proved that they had good parts, lead-free, cadmium-free parts. And then when they actually started shipping material, they were told that their material had too much lead in it. Now, how could that possibly be since they had a a whole separate line set up just for producing the lead-free or hazardous substance-free products? Through an analysis, through looking at, through watching the process, what they identified during the assessment was that they did have a separate line. They had one line that was still producing parts that did have high levels of lead uh, and cadmium. Uh, Those are the two ingredients uh, often used for coloring uh, plastics. They had high levels of it in the parts that were being made that weren't compliant with the restriction, and they had absolutely compliant parts being made off the production line that was hazardous substance-free. What they didn't realize in their process was that all of the parts that didn't pass inspection went into a central uh, area which got ground up and fed back into the raw material. And in simple form, what this meant was that they were taking the non-compliant product, grinding it up, mixing it with compliant product, thus contaminating everything that they were making. So the only the only production that was truly compliant with hazardous substance-free was the very first batch they made. 
after that, the contamination changed everything. This was the beginning, if you will, of a transition that the world uh, producers of components and products uh, started going through, uh, changing from testing products at the end of a production line or, at, or more importantly, at the beginning of a production line, thinking that they could test things to begin with and then build them and ship them. That was the beginning of the learning that you actually have to monitor the entire process, look at everything you're doing throughout that process to determine whether or not you remain compliant from the beginning to the end. And I'm afraid to say that this is still a problem um, that plagues the world at large. And as you know from prior guests that I've had on the show, there continues to be, in fact, Nancy uh, Uding, last week's guest from the Washington Toxic Coalition, uh, was commenting that they continue, as as we are doing in the uh, hazardous substance-free mark, they continue to test products to determine whether or not they meet the requirements that the manufacturer indicates they're meeting. And this is, uh, this is an area of, of concern. And it's an area of concern because manufacturers don't always recognize their process changes that do, in fact, change the results at the end of the line. Plastics being one of them, everything is made is at the least possible cost, as you just heard Bob talking about, uh, with high rel, high, uh, highly critical parts. There's a push to get the lowest possible price. That's amplified significantly when we go to low-end products, consumer products, uh, particularly toys and that. As we move forward, we have to pay attention to these things. Uh, This is just one of many examples of what we face on a daily basis. We work hard working together for your safety. Uh, The People to People show is meant to bring to light those things that we we feel that you're interested in hearing, that we hear from our listeners they're interested in hearing. By all means, if uh, there's something we're not covering and you're interested in learning more about it, please drop me a line. Let me know. I will do what I can to find the right experts to bring that information to light for us. This is Stan Slott, your host of People to People, working together for your safety. I do appreciate your participation, your uh, tuning in today. I look forward to talking to you again next week. We have uh, a great show lined up for you. It's going to be a single segment. Uh, I think you'll be very interested. Please check out the website, and you'll get the details uh, starting tomorrow. Stan Slot signing off for today, and may you be safe and buy safe products forever. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat Jr. for next week's edition of People to People, Working for Your Safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. Today.